well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you are on board today. Joining us in a matter of moments, we're going to talk with Rob O'Donnell, former New York police officer, uh, with Brothers Before Others. We're going to talk about the sharp increase, it seems, in the number of uh, police chiefs around the country who have resigned in recent weeks. On uh, Tuesday, we saw the entire command staff in uh, Rochester, New York, decide that they were going to retire. Police chief in Dallas, Texas, stepping down. And then in the past couple of weeks, we've seen the police chief in Richmond, uh, Virginia, get replaced. We've seen uh, Carmen Best, the chief in Seattle, Washington, uh, resign after the council tried to uh, uh, try to defund uh, the police department to the tune of, I think it was $100 million at that point. Uh, and then you've got some other efforts underway, places like Minneapolis. They're trying to get rid of the police chief Good there. Sorry about that. Uh, so I want to talk with Rob about a couple of things. First of all, what, what does this mean to the uh, immediate future of policing in these cities where violent crime, by the way, is is increasing? Every one of these cities that I just mentioned. Uh, is seeing an increase in violent crime compared to last year. So what do you do when you replace that uh, top cop? And what do you do uh, with the agenda of some of these city council members that really want to move in another direction? They It seems like they don't want to prosecute violent crime. It seems like that is less of a concern uh, than finding some sort of social justice as opposed to criminal justice. And how well is that going to fly? What's it going to do to the crime rate in these cities? We'll talk about it with the Rob O'Donnell. Like, let's do that right now. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for coming to the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. Thanks for having me, Cam. Absolutely. You know, listen, I mean, it seemed like yesterday was was almost a mini purge of uh, police chiefs. We had the entire command staff in Rochester uh, announce their resignations. The uh, police chief in Dallas, Texas, stepping down. And uh, as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, I mean, this also follows, I think, the replacement of the police chief in Richmond, Virginia over the past couple of weeks resignation of the uh, police chief in Seattle, and I'm probably forgetting a few, uh, but but this seems to be a, a real trend here now. Um, you know, major cities losing their chiefs, uh, in, in large part, it seems like because of the uh, the, the anti-police mentality, the anti-police actions uh, of the uh, the mayors and city councils around the country. Yeah, one, one that I know of that you missed was the Anne Arundel County in Maryland chief, uh, left his position uh, two weeks ago, basically saying he can no longer keep his mouth shut as police chief, and he can't say what needs to be said while he's still a police chief. So he also resigned uh, just two weeks ago, and that's uh, the Annapolis capital area. So uh, This should be terrifying the public, it, it's because what you have is chiefs, the, the chief executive law enforcement officer of these departments, making a cognitive decision that things aren't going to change in their foreseeable future for their lifespan as an executive. So they're throwing in the towel and resigning or retiring. And that means that for the next few years, they don't foresee things changing for the better. And this this should terrify the public. Are, are, is this also playing out among um, lower level officers, you know, the, the whether it's, you know, the, the rank and file street cops, uh, the, the captains, lieutenants, the majors? Is this... Is this endemic to police departments right now, or is this concentrated uh, only at the top? No, no. New York City, the NYPD, they're leaving in droves. You know, I believe it's something like 3,000 in the past few months 
and these are 3,000 officers that aren't being replaced. Uh, that's 3,000 less officers in New York City when crime is skyrocketing, when shootings and murders are on the rise by 160%. Uh, you know, that's 3,000 officers that aren't call, coming to your 911 calls, and with this defund the police movement, they're not being replaced. So it, it's, it's not a trickle-down effect. It's not a trickle-up effect. It is anyone in law enforcement that has the time in, and, and not even the time in, because I think there were 60 resignations from the NYPD where people just outright quit. Uh, so it's only widespread, but with these chief executives, these political appointees, Chiefs wise, who who normally stick this out mm-hmm. for them to be calling it quits is is troubling. So so what happens in terms of the replacements? Do you think some of these uh, cities are going to have a difficult time, uh, you know, finding a new chief, or will there be somebody willing to uh, to step up, even knowing that they're likely to uh, to face a you know a hostile city council and maybe even a a hostile mayor when it comes to policing? Well, we've seen police executives sell their soul for those positions, for the title, for the money. You know, time and time again. So I, I don't think they'll have trouble filling those positions with someone that's willing to be the sacrificial lamb. But anyone with the moral ethics of police leadership and policing in general and, and wanting to do the right thing for crime knows that it's a no-win situation. So I can't see those type of people taking it, which again leads to the troubling aspect of are you getting the best, the brightest, and the most dedicated to these positions and not just in the chief level, but that goes down for hiring new officers, too. Mm-hmm. This defund the police movement, this forcing officers out, is, is you're getting rid of the best trained officers in these departments with 20 years experience, 25 years experience, 30 years experience. They have the closest ties with the community. They know the community they serve. They're less likely to use their firearm and resort to deadly, physical, uh, deadly uh, use of force because they have the experience to de-escalate situations, to talk through situations, to use physical force or non-lethal force instead of going to uh, deadly force. So you're compounding the problem by forcing these officers out. You know, and it seems like there's a a mentality uh, among these politicians, Rob, that, uh, you know, violent crime is is not something that they'll, they'll, they'll talk about it. Uh, But their way of addressing violent crime, it seems these days, is... Uh, you know, we need more social programs. We need more, you know, community intervention. And of course, we need more gun control laws. Uh, even, even the most ardent, you know, uh, supporter of, of defunding the police is still all on board with, uh, more gun control laws that would inevitably be enforced by armed police. That's always their go-to, Cam. We've been going through this for years with that. Um, you know, look at Mayor de Blasio in New York City. He literally had a press conference where saying they're improving in crime where Labor Day weekend, when they had 30-something shootings, uh, uh, you know, and, and 28 people hit, you know, it's called it a success. I mean, that has nothing to do with gun control. New York City has one of the strictest gun controls in the nation. This is a crime control. It's a judicial revolving door control. It's not letting your police and tying the hands of their tools that have been proven uh, tools. So, you know, they always go back to their false narratives. You know, the gun control will approve things. You know, we all know that the guns committing these crimes aren't legally bought, aren't legally purchased, aren't legally carried, aren't legally owned, and it's not going to solve one iota of their problem. Yeah, I think uh, I saw a headline this morning that a, a 15-year-old was actually arrested uh, in that uh, shooting in New York that uh, uh, left at least one person dead, maybe two people dead, six others injured um, at the, uh, the the site of what would be was it the, the Jovert Parade. 
which had been canceled, but there was still, you know, a big block party going on in the early hours of the morning. 15-year-old arrested in charge of that crime. Now, that, that's not somebody who purchased that firearm legally, not somebody who waited a year or more simply to apply for permission uh, to own a gun, which is, you know, how long the backlog is now uh, in uh, New York City. Uh, and yet, again, it's the it's the legal gun owners, it's the uh, the gun laws that are on the books that are always the, uh, as you say, the, the go-to for these politicians. Um, I, I think you and I are both in agreement that focusing on legal gun owners is not likely to uh, lead to a reduction of violent crime. So how concerned are you, Rob, that, uh, that the spikes that we're seeing in places like New York City, Chicago, even in places like Seattle and Portland, um, that these are going to be sustained spikes, that this might be the quote-unquote new normal in terms of violent crime in these cities? Yeah, just like with anything, once you lose ground, and in this case it's with crime control, it takes 10 times the effort to gain that ground back. So for, for every month that you have this lawlessness, for every month you're letting crime go rampant, you're talking 10 months to repair that. So we've already been going on this for, for you know, a half a year now, a year, that you're talking three, four, five years until you can see an aggressive turnaround if they have the fortitude to address the crime the way it needs to be addressed. Well, that's and that's a big, you know, that's obviously a big ask because I think a lot of this depends on what happens in November as well. I mean, I think a Biden-Harris administration would, uh, if not uh, enable, uh, certainly encourage, uh, you know, cities and, and departments to to take these sort of steps that are light on violent crime. Uh, I mean, it's almost redefining broken windows policing as, well, allow the broken windows and hope that the crime stops there. Yeah, when there's nothing left to break, maybe they'll stop. Right. You know, that, that's, that's their mentality. And well, what, what terrifies me with a Biden-Harris um, ticket is what you're seeing now, these rampant crime issues in Chicago, Baltimore, New York, California, you know, Baltimore. Philadelphia. You're, you're, yeah, Philadelphia. No doubt. They're isolated cities that have been predominantly Democrat run. When you have a, a Biden, Kamala Harris taking over a nation's uh, leadership, you're going to see that spread countrywide now in places like Texas and Dallas, you know, in, in, in Richmond, in, in, you know, North Carolina, in Florida. You're going to see it spread to those cities because it's going to be tolerated. It's going to be these policies are what's creating this judicial revolving door. It's creating, it's enabling criminals to be repeat offenders because they know they're not being held accountable and that no one's out there looking and pursuing them. Yep. We've got a uh, story uh, out of North Carolina, excuse me, South Carolina, coming up in just a second that is a perfect example of what you just described. Rob, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the program. It's always good talking with you. Thank you so much for uh, for your time today, and I hope we get a chance to catch up again very soon. Thank you for having me, Cam, and never forget what this week represents as far as 9-11, and let's try and get the back to, as a nation, what we did on 9-12. Amen to that. Rob O'Donnell with us here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Appreciate Rob joining us on the program. Let's get to our uh, good deed of the day, our armed citizen story, and our recidivist report, which uh, today comes from uh, North Carolina. This is the uh, suspect uh, in our uh, recidivist report. Uh, Ian Tevis Lamar Rogers arrested on Tuesday, charged with shooting and killing his wife while she sat in a car. Investigators say he got into a verbal altercation with his wife, uh, Antoinaza Rogers, after she returned home about 4 a.m. Tuesday morning. 
Uh, they say that uh, uh, Rogers ended up shooting his wife as she sat there uh, in her car. According to prosecutors, uh, the South Carolina Department of Probation and Parole confirmed on Tuesday that uh, Ian Tevis Rogers was on shock parole at the time of the killing on Tuesday. He was granted parole on June 7th, 2018. Back in 2017, Rogers pleaded guilty to first-degree assault and battery in connection with a drive-by shooting in Lawrence, South Carolina, in which a car was struck by gunfire. He was sentenced to six years in prison just three years ago, but again was granted shock probation or shock parole as part of the Youthful Offender Act. Mm-hmm. Should have been behind bars instead uh, out on the street. Antoinaza Rogers' mother now calling for uh, her son-in-law to be kept behind bars permanently. She said, quote, he took my one and only child away from me. He took the mother of his child away from him. He had every opportunity to leave my daughter and let her be, but he chose to take my daughter's life. So I don't think he needs no life out on the streets, period. Well, and maybe if the criminal justice system had uh, been fully operational, none of that would have happened because Rogers would have been behind bars in the first place on that uh, drive-by shooting charge. Now, on to today's Armed Citizen story from West Hazleton, PA. Don't have a lot of information, but we do have a headline. A person uh, barging into a home there in West Hazleton. Apparently, a gunfire exchanged uh, between at least one of the homeowners uh, inside that residence uh, and that would-be home invasion. That, according to uh, WNEP, uh, this happened uh, a couple of nights ago, just before midnight. Police believe that the uh, person who broke into the home was shot. They did flee the area, though, and uh, so far, uh, no arrests have been made. Officials say the investigation is ongoing. Uh, no threat to the public. And uh, right now, again, this appears to be a case of self-defense. Finally, our good deed of the day. Also an update for you on a, an armed citizen story we talked about. I believe this was last week. Pizza delivery driver in Lafayette, Louisiana, Joshua Ungersma, who was shot and killed after he defended himself in an armed robbery. He was delivering pizza. This was his second job, by the way trying to earn money for his family. And as he was delivering the speech, he was uh, approached by a man, tried to rob him at gunpoint. Ungersma defended himself, shot and killed that will-be armed robber, called police, was waiting on scene, and then a couple of minutes later, a 17-year-old girl allegedly walks right up to Ungersma and shoots him point blank, killing him. Now Domino's, the uh, Domino's where he worked, is um, stepping up, and they are uh, trying to raise some money for Ungersma's family. Donating 75% of every order to Ungersma's widow, Jenny. The promotion runs throughout the week. Jeff Stinken, who is one of the owners of the uh, Domino's franchise, says he was a family man. He had a six-month-old. He had a stepson. He took two jobs to support them. And he said, this was our idea. He said, we discussed doing something, whether it was just donating to the family or doing a promotion like this. He was just loved here. I'm glad to see that uh, Domino's stepping up to uh, help the family. And uh, last report, by the way, 17-year-old Jalen Billups has been charged with one count of murder, two counts of murder while in the commission of a felony, also two counts of armed robbery, one count of theft, one count of pointing a firearm, and one count of carrying a handgun without a license. Uh, and Gersma's full-time employer, by the way, at Payless Supermarket there in Lafayette, Louisiana, also stepping up uh, to help the family. And Gersma was a butcher 
there at the grocery store for the past 13 years. And the uh, manager of that grocery store, Meredith Donglinger, said, we've been taking donations. So far, the uh, employees have donated $900 to the family. And customers can also make a donation at the uh, customer service desk. Uh, I believe that there is a GoFundMe set up as well. I will try to find that in case you would like to donate to the Ungersma family. But again, uh, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to help out the family of this armed citizen who tragically lost his life uh, while defending himself in an armed robbery. The uh, folks there at the Domino's in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, and the uh, Payless there in Lafayette, and all those who've donated to the Angersma family, we thank you for your very good deed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program today. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. Also, you can uh, follow us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. We'll be back tomorrow talking with uh, Jerry Wayne. You might remember him. He's the uh, union member who went toe-to-toe with Joe Biden about guns. Yeah, well, Biden's back talking to union members, and uh, Jerry Wayne getting a front-row seat. He's going to give us an update on the next edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Until then, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. 